So when I first saw this episode, I was like, yay, I'm loving it. And then upon rewatching this episode, I have some questions and concerns. So many questions. Yeah, we're here with Kat. We bullied her into doing the recap for us. Yeah, that wasn't paid. <laughs> we're really grateful for that. But this is Unsubs, a Criminal Minds podcast. Criminal Minds Evolution podcast. Oh, shit. I got put in my place. Listen, I've already fucked us because I didn't know about time zones. So we're already coming in from me fucking up the scheduling, which is just, you know, how I'd be doing today, which does not bode well. But we're here. We're hot off the presses. And we're going to talk about Criminal Minds. Season 16, episode 6. True conviction. All right, before we even get into it, should we do fun facts? Who has a fun fact? I have a fun fact. What's your fun fact? Okay, my fun fact, and this is a fucking hot take, but if uh, the BAU had agent trainee Seaver, Ashley Seaver with them for this season, I feel like they would have cracked the case so much sooner. Because remember, her father was a serial killer. She knows all about the serial killer family dynamics. And I feel like she would have seen that shit coming a mile away. That's your fun fact? That's my fun fact. I was sitting on the couch watching it again this morning. And I was like, damn, you are so smart. I was expecting a personal fun fact. That is a personal fun fact. (laughs) That's how I personally feel. Okay. You want a more personal fun fact? Hit us with one. Okay, I am drinking a lemon berry uh, Synergy GTS kombucha. Yeah. There you go. Still waiting for a kombucha sponsorship. Yeah, anybody. I literally drink one every day. Almost every day. Every time we record, especially. I have no idea what that is. Oh, you don't? No, we don't have that here. You don't have kombucha? No. It's got to have a different name over there. There's no way you don't have this. I mean, this has been around for like hundreds of years. It's a fermented tea drink. It's like flavored tea. Like It's a special thing to do, but are you basically about like flavored tea? What? How can you not have kombucha in England? I'm like, I need to fly over there and bring you some. Wait, how do you spell it? K-O-M-B-U-C-H-A. Yeah, it says it's a fermented, effervescent, sweetened black tea drink commonly consumed for its purported health benefits Okay, they do sell it here, but I've just never seen it. But I don't really drink tea, so. That seems like, as an American, blasphemous. But as a normal person, I get it. I've not physically seen it, but I know what you mean by looking at it. Like, we don't really sell it. Not many places here sell it. I almost had a panic attack on behalf of the entire kombucha community. I love how when I've Googled this, like a, a store that sells like vitamins and stuff, like a health shop is selling it. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to give you like, like good bowel movements is what you're supposed to. Yeah, it's like a, it has a lot of like probiotic stuff, qualities in it. Uh, yeah, you can get it somewhere, but that's probably about the only place. Probably why I've never heard of it. Well, if you're in a different country that's not America... What's your kombucha experience? And don't fucking come on here telling me that it's called throaty in New Zealand because I won't fucking believe you. So, uh, Abigail, what's your fun fact? I made, uh, I sent you that picture of the soup I made on Monday. It was decadent. I made a, I've been making a lot of vegan dinners. I made a white bean and kale soup on Monday. 
And it was so good and so fancy looking and super easy to make. And then uh, the other day, I also made a mushroom stroganoff pasta dish, which was also entirely vegan. And it was so good. So yeah, um, I've been cooking a lot and it's really fun. Kat, what what about you? Do you have a fun fact? I'm wearing my Info Podcast t-shirt right now. Oh my gosh! I am, but I'm also wearing my giant hoodie because it's absolutely freezing here. We've got cold fog, which can you believe there's actually such a thing as cold fog? And it's minus three. What? And there's cold fog, and if I look outside, it looks like the movie The Mist. It literally looks like you could get eaten by something if you an hour. We're here to talk about a very special episode of Criminal Minds. Uh, but first, before we got to do that, should I share our rating criteria? So we rate each episode on a scale of 0 to 100, and we have five different categories. And those categories are criminal slash serial killer. Character development slash character arcs of the main cast, forensic slash context, script writing, and background characters. And Abigail, do you want to share our disclaimer? Yeah, we are in no way, shape, or form associated with Criminal Minds or anything therein. We're just fans. Please don't sue us. Please don't hit us with a cease and desist. We're not trying to infringe upon anything. Can I just, like, give a spoiler alert and say, hire a fucking teenage actor, okay? Like, it's not that hard. Go out on the streets and find someone who fucking looks like Daddy Voight and hire a fucking (laughs) teenage actor. Making a grown-ass 40-year-old man like look like a teenager was the fucking dumbest thing i have seen in recent years in television history oh the gel down hair i'm sorry girl erica bestie what were you thinking erica come on erica the man can act but nobody can like take take away 20 years of age hopefully this will be a very cathartic experience Yes, it will. It will. I've got my kombucha. Let's go. So the episode opens with a fire and debris across the grass from the explosion. We cut to the BAU in the round table room where the team is scrambling for information on what's happened. Garcia's frantic. Pentis and Lewis are both on the phone. What was that? It was an explosion. Communications are scrambled. Has backup arrived. Power's been knocked out. That means towers are probably down. Com might be up, but they still have on those body cameras. Th- that hasn't connected to any GPS, but but if I can reestablish the uplink. Oh, oh, one of the cameras is online. JJ is laying on the ground. She looks to be injured and trying to place where she is. She's getting up. She starts to wonder, looking for Luke. When we go back to the brown table room, there's Prentice, Tara, and Doug. But Emily tells him that they need to go to Georgia. Doug is like, I'll dispatch the Atlanta to field office. Emily's like, Douglas, it's time. Generally love how she full names him like a school child. I, I fucking love that. I love that so much. It's how she said it as well. Like, it was just like, Douglas, how she looked at him and it was like, oh. Yeah, that's so super disrespectful. That's your fucking boss, but okay. Queen move. Shut up. He's my favorite, and nobody's going to change my goddamn mind. And y'all jumping on the, the I Love Doug train after the fact, I want it on record from day one, episode one, before we knew anything Girl, else. it was already on record. It's on the podcast. I'm just saying, I want everyone to be made, wait, made aware that you're d- jumping on the Doug train after the fact when I am the OG Doug Stan, all right? So we see them entering the lift where we finally get to hear the first wheels up of the season. That is back, baby. Yeah, the jet's back. I'm sorry. I'm outraged. And I'm not even the one who actively hated the jet. That was me. I was I saw the jet and I was like, oh, it's like an old friend. 
I feel like there was like stress when they were writing this season because now like in the public eye, private jets are really bad. But they were like, we need for convenience sake and writing sake to have the jet back so they can go to and from places quickly. But the only way to like get us to accept that the jet is back is to like put two agents' lives in mortal peril. That's the only way because I'm like, I can't justify fucking hating the jet because they got to go get Luke and JJ. Why do they have to go? Can't the paramedics who are locally there just get there fast? I mean, yeah, I agree. They didn't need the fucking paramedics because it's ludicrous that they survived. Oh, my God. I was like, not even a scratch. Oh, there's a little bit of dirt. Okay. She's limping and bleeding, but there's nothing wrong with her. Yeah, she's limping and bleeding, but, like, does not go to the hospital, like, once, not one time. Don't you know, to join the FBI, you actually have to be, like, one of the DC or Marvel superheroes? You have to be fucking Invincible from the Amazon series Invincible. That's a prerequisite to joining. Yeah, also, if you if you follow the Criminal Minds official evolution Instagram, they posted pictures of JJ and Luke before the episode dropped, like... They literally posted JJ, so everyone thought Luke was dead. But don't even post JJ. Like, what are you doing? Who is in charge of this, like, promotional team? Because I have so many questions. Because why are they posting pictures of JJ and they're like, oh, in the dirt? Or like they said some shit like that. What did they say? I'm sorry. It says ears ringing. We're way ahead of ourselves. Okay. Okay, okay. Let's go back to the jet. Let's go back. Okay. Wheels up. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. So we see Emily, Tara, and Rosie sat in separate places on the jet. The now new improved jet lets admire that because it does look like it's had a really nice reboot. It also looks like they won these with Emily for Interpol. Just pointing that one out. They're all sat in silence, rude about their team members. You're all on the jet, but let's all just sit separately in our thoughts. It's because they're grieving. It's the stress. We then cut back to the field. JJ's wondering the dark and smoke. Her body's clearly in shock. We see sirens in the distance. She finds Luke begging for him to wake up. Clearly not breathing at that point. And she's like, wake up. Luke, please wake up. Luke, we need our himbo. She should have really like slapped him on the face or something to wake him up instead of just like tapping him. That, that might have done it a bit quicker, but you know. We can't all be a paramedic. And then the paramedics run over and they're like, we got this. We then cut to a car parked near the explosion site, which no one seemed to have picked up on, which I think they would, should have seen at least in a bush. Come on. But we won't go there because we're analysing way too much, clearly. And then when then we see the one and only Daddy Voight. Thank you. You have to call him Daddy Voight. No one's allowed to call him anything else. We see Jenny Voight calling someone and getting a voicemail, which is Sydney. Who the fuck is Sydney? Poor Kat can't even get out a goddamn line before we're cutting her off. I'm so sorry, Kat. Is it his wife? Or is it another woman? Or does he have two families? So many freaking questions. I thought it was two families. I was like, maybe he's having an affair and it's another family. But then after I watched episode seven, I've not got that vibe. So now I'm really just confused. So if you listen back to episode three, we were like, no, absolutely. Sydney's the boss and his wife is Bridget because on IMDb and I have the receipts on IMDb for Moose, specifically season 16, episode three Moose, it lists his wife as Bridget Voigt. But now everywhere else, it's Sydney Voigt. So I genuinely think that someone fucked up somewhere and confused us all. Someone wrote the wrong name in IMBD, basically. Yes, but if you listen back to the conversation they have in episode three... It didn't sound like her. It didn't sound like her, and it was super sus. 
we're giving this to you as the episodes come out. So obviously we're going to fuck up and obviously it's not this conspiracy where they're, they're going to have a single female criminal in this season. No, they're not going to do that. They're just going to give us white men with brown hair because women don't commit crimes. They're trying to target the Reddit community, Mac. Oh, I'm sorry. My apologies to the Reddit community. <laughs> so we were incorrect about that. Sydney and Bridget are the same person. Someone messed up on IMDb. You can go on our Instagram and we'll have pictures. But that is his wife's name. So Sydney is his wife. Hi, it's Sydney. Leave me a message. Hey, babe. Uh, I know you're asleep. Turns out this job's a little more complicated than anyone anticipated, so I'm gonna have to stay out here a couple more days. Sorry. But Cameron says there's a big Christmas bonus in it for me, so there's that. Anyway, I love you. I miss you. Give my love to the girls. I'm going to call her Sidget. Oh my god. Nasty. Why you gotta be so nasty? Sorry. Brittany. Brittany or Sidget. Vote. I'm going to put a poll on our Instagram. All right. Pick one. Brittany or Sidget. I fucking hate that. Uh, I will pick one, but I'm not going to be happy about it. Oh my god. That's going to be hilarious. Okay. I've lost where I am. Okay. We see Daddy Voight search a location on his tablet, Falls Lake, NC, which I am not American, so I don't understand any American state. North Carolina. There we go. We see four locations pop up on the screen, and all I can think of either is more Kilkit's bodies, and at this point, I don't even know. I'm pretty sure it's Google Maps and it's four different ways to get to the location. <laughs> Can you tell I don't drive? I don't read maps. Because <laughs> it had like the timelines. So I'm, I'm pretty certain it's like a four. It's not Google Maps, but it's like Google Maps. And it's just different ways to get to the location that he's choosing. Which route to go down? Map quest. <laughs> We then cut to a flashback scene. Can I give you a tentative timeline of when I think that this actually was? Because you mentioned that we didn't get an exact time. We have some other flashbacks and it's 20 years from the point that Daddy Voight, quote unquote, leaves home. And so that would be 2002. So it's like a year after... Uh, the Durham County PD incorrectly arrested Michael Peterson, which would have been right in that same exact area that Daddy Voigt was growing up. So Daddy Voigt was around for fucking the Michael Peterson trial. Just saying, just pointing that out, everybody. So that was 2002. I think he was probably like 17. When he left, so then if we're saying he was like 13, 12, it would have been like 1994, 1995. I was going with like 90s because if you look at how old he is now. No year is stated, but we see a boy, I'd say around the age of 13, running in some kind of woods. He gets punched in the face by a guy and pulled into a truck which we then see is the guy Daddy Voight had imagined seen in episode four right at the beginning. So we finally get some answers. We then see the boy being locked in the cupboard. As there's a dead cat in there. I don't even want to know. We then see the boy laid in a bed and food brought to him. So we find out the boy is Lee, a.k.a. Sicarius. Now, I know how your parents looked at me. But I'm smart. I read. In fact, just the other day, I read about these experiments on dogs where they would shock them in their pens. Oh, the dogs hated it. They'd jump, they'd howl. 
But then, they just gave up. That's called learned helplessness. Your mommy and daddy are dead. And you heard the judge. You're either state-raised, or as your only living relative, I get you. The uncle specifically says that, that your family is dead and that the court says either you live with me or with a, like a, a group home. It's now the next morning and we see Luke and JJ sat in the ambulance both completely fine. Are you fucking kidding me? At least have one of them in the hospital and one with like... Luke has like a little wrist splint or something and that's about it. Like something, you had to give him something. I don't use this word lightly, but it is ludicrous that they're totally fine. It could have been a good episode if they'd have gone down the route of they're injured and then the rest of this stuff happened. Yeah, they're injured. They can't say they can't say what happened. I was just like, are you kidding me? Yeah, okay, he let them get out of there. But they were still thrown across the field, so how the hell did uh so I guess the whole point, and like here's something that I wanted to bitch about, is that while they were in the shipping container, Daddy Voight called them? JJ says, oh yeah, he called us several times. And I'm like, on which phone? When? Why didn't we hear that call? How did this happen? Because we literally cut from the thing beeping to you hear a phone ringing to them running out and Luke says there's a bomb. So it's like, did Daddy Void actually talk to them? My thought process in that was, you know, when it lit up and you hear like the beep. If I remember correctly, when you see him building that, I think he built a phone to it. Yeah, but they didn't pick up the phone. No, but he rang a few times. So like that was the warning to get out before it went off. But how does a ringing phone mean him warning them? There's too many questions, including the question that that at Criminal Minds Evolution just tweeted, which is an uncomfortable photo of Voight, with the question, what does Elias have up his sleeve? And I replied, his other wife, Bridget. (laughs) I'm retweeting that. Oh, thank God. How you doing, kids? We're ready to catch this son of a bitch. The local said the accelerant was gasoline. And this guy really wanted to show. You guys are lucky to be alive. Luck had nothing to do with it. He called twice. He was warning us to get out of there. So killing federal agents is too bold even for him. He doesn't want to wage a full-on war against us. Listen, if if Sakari's let J.J. and Alves rush out, then he timed it perfectly. And that means he's... Close by. We need to fan out, cover as much ground as possible. We find out that he used gasoline and phoned twice to give them time to get out of the bunker before he could set it off. The team learn he must have been close by to see it all happen. The team splits up. JJ, Tara and Rosie find an abandoned car with no other than dead Benjamin Reeves inside. We go back to Daddy Boy sat in a petrol station or what you guys call a gas station. It takes us back to another flashback scene as a young Lee sat in the back of a truck listening to the song on the radio. He's tapping and singing along. He's told to turn it down by... At this point, I didn't know his name, but we learn his name is Cyrus. Lee, turn that off. You know where we are? No. What'd you see on our way out here? Nothing. Exactly. No road signs, no mile markers. That's why I picked this place. I know precisely where we are. I know how long it takes to get here. I know how many cars we pass head in the same direction and I know when those cars stop being as frequent. Get your ass up. Grab me one of them buckets. What's that? Lie. It's used for soaps and candles, but it's got other uses. Who was he? 
I don't know. You then see a body being pulled out of the truck, and Lee's not even phased by this, which kind of instructs me that this has been going on a while. We skip to the BAU on the jet. They found half a dozen stalker photos, survived the explosion. Inside a, is it a Haberlin case? But one of the photos stood out as a woman called Maria Jones. They had to use facial recognition to ID the body as it was found over 20 years before in North Carolina. Her boyfriend, Silvio Herrera, confessed to killing her. Currently on death row, awaiting execution in 48 hours' time. Okay, so if that's true, then somehow he persuaded Silvio to confess. The guy's a master manipulator, but I mean, that would be one hell of a hold on Herrera's psyche, especially considering that his death row sentence wasn't guaranteed. Not anymore. North Carolina just ended their pandemic moratorium. Silvio Herrera is scheduled to be executed in 48 hours. I can assert the BAU's prerogative to interview death row inmates, have him transferred to Quantico. Luke, Tara, you'll take point. You got it. There is a signature in the prosecutor's filing, R. Wilson. Yeah, I saw that too. It's not Rebecca, is it? That is the case that launched her career. <sighs> I'll join Luke in the interview. No, no, it's fine. I, I can do it. I know, but I don't think you should. You'll observe. I'll be in the room. There was a signature on the prosecution's file, signed R. Wilson, which in this case means... Tara Lewis's girlfriend, yep, who has already done all this kind of under-the-table work for the BAU. Emily decides she will sit on the interview instead of Tara and observe. You can tell Tara's pretty pissed about this. We go back to the Quantico field office where we see Tyler leave a room in normal clothes. At first I was confused, but then you see Garcia waiting for him, and Tyler is now a free man. And Garcia is all like, it's amazing what cooperating with will get you. And Tyler asks about Scarius, and Garcia explains how they've hit a wall, and they're kind of not looking at the case anymore. Tyler just sort of looks at her and walks off, leaving Garcia very puzzled as she's concerned for his well-being and that he shouldn't be alone right now. The team enters the bullpen and see Silvio being handcuffed to the table as Emily and Luke enter the room. He just shrugs them off and is basically just flat-out tempered and roots them. Remember, this is the same Luke who was just blown up a few hours ago. He's fine, back at work. He's not sleep-deprived. He's been awake for like 48 hours, but you know, who cares at this point? What do you want from me? Hmm. I confessed. I took that bitch to my uncle's cabin and I killed her. This cabin? Yeah, that cabin. Silvio, this is an abandoned house in Ireland. Yeah, the whole thing is she shows him a picture of Maria and she's like, this was date stamped after supposedly you would kill her and here's a picture of her. And then she shows him this other picture and she's like, did you kill her at your uncle's cabin? And he's like, yeah, in the cabin right there. And she's like, this is, sir, this is a picture of an, an abandoned house from Ireland. I thought that was so fucking funny. We then see JJ getting a FaceTime call from Will. She tells him how she's sorry for breaking their pinky promise. You can actually see she's really upset by this. Like, you can see the fear that almost being blown up actually scared her. But Will tells her that she didn't break the promise because he missed it and he fell asleep putting Michael to bed. And I'm just like, oh, I can't go with you guys. You guys are just so real and so adorable. Then JJ says she's going to take some time off when things die down on the case as there's been too many close calls and she needs to be around Will and the boys. And then Will's like, we've always got your back, JJ. And I'm like, oh, I can't go be with you too. The, li- the one-liners this season and their little scenes are like keeping me going. I'm not going to lie. We're then in the round table room where we see Garcia and Rosie putting together a victim's board of the victims from the second shipping container that exploded. Every victim in the second container died exactly how those in the first container did. So we've been slowly but surely identifying the victims in the second container. 
Louise Murphy of Brentwood, Tennessee, missing since 2014. The lab said she had crop spiders poured down her throat. In the first container, this victim had sicarious spiders poured down his throat. Coroner said it took a day for him to die. So what are you thinking? Well, crab spiders means that Louise Murphy suffered for days before she died. In the second container, he's deliberately prolonging their pain. It sounds like the first container is a rough draft for the second. What's to say he stopped at only two shipping containers? He could have containers buried all across the country. Yes, this is Penelope. Yes, okay. I have to go, Bill. I have to take care of a situation. They are stopped when Garcia gets a call and, and I want to say blushingly leaves frantically. So you cut to Garcia's apartment. Tyler is drunk. He got into a fight with a guy at a bar. And he's all like basically collapsed on the armchair and explains how it was all a misunderstanding as the guy called him a terrorist because he saw his face on the news. She gives him a frozen little frog ice pack and she's like taking care of him and it's very cute and she's like, I knew you weren't like, it. it's a really nice moment where she's basically like, I lost a, a my brother so like I knew that you shouldn't be alone and I can really relate to what you're doing. And is it really blasphemous if I say that he's hotter in the orange jumpsuit? He is hotter in the orange jumpsuit. Uh, I didn't really notice much of a difference. I just love, I, I think he's hot. We then go back to Daddy Boy in the cabin in the middle of the woods somewhere. Very bad hairstyled young Daddy Boy. He looks so bad. He's supposed to be a teenager, but it's the same actor. He is definitely supposed to be styled as a a youth. And so what they did is they gave him a fucking long shirt that is almost down to his knees to make him look younger and like gave him a comb over with his hair and made him kind of talk like this. And like the man, Zach can act. He's He can fucking act the shit out of that, but you can't shave 20 years off and turn someone into a teenager by putting a shirt and giving them a bad hairstyle it was almost laughable like how dumb an idea this was i just i can't go with this episode honestly i don't understand why they did it i don't understand why they couldn't find a single youth in all of california or the continental united states that would look similar to him because then you see a picture of a guy later in the episode and a picture of him now and it's a clearly a different actor. So I'm like, if we're going to suspend disbelief for that, why aren't we going to suspend disbelief for this? We see him start reading the one and only David Rossi's books, Deviance. Deviance, sorry. We then hear Chained Up Girl speak, who we see is Maria. And she is like, your dad calls you Lee. And the younger daddy boy is all like, he's my uncle. Maria pleads with the young Lee, aka daddy boy, to let her go. Let me go. I promise I won't tell anybody what happened. What, what's your name? Maria. her after she keeps pleading with him only for her to grab the scissors off the side or whatever it was and stab him in the shoulder and then obviously his uncle enters a room and basically fights with her and basically I, I want to say stabs her in the neck yeah I think so and like violently stabs her in the neck and kills her and then obviously the flashback ends and we see him looking back at his tablet again for him to set off to the location of Falls Lake. Back at the BAU, we see Tara, Luke and Emily discussing the Silvio Herrera case where we learn he was a member of the Male Noche Gang. Male Noche Gang. But his record was for dealing, not murder. 
They try to figure out how he links back to Sicarius, and in comes Rebecca shouting at Tara across the room. She is super pissed. And we see Rebecca and Tara go into the room where things get super heated. And basically, Rebecca is making it all about her career. You can have a little lesbian as a treat. It's like, it's like kill, bury your gaze, but like relationship edition. It's so unnecessary and stupid. I also feel like they're trying to show that no one in the show, like when they always go, you can't have relationships in this like field of work. Like they're trying to prove that, but I'm also like, it's a, just let the just let them be happy for a while. Like, come on. I mean, it's it's been sixteen seasons. Can we just have a happy gay couple? Can we do that? Is that that difficult? Can't Tara be happy? Hasn't she been through enough? We see JJ in a round table room on video call with Garcia. There is too many victims for them to keep up with. But JJ shares how they've started to see a pattern of etymologies. The first container was filled with victims living very high-risk lifestyles. But container number two was filled with victims from low-risk categories. Rosie says that all the second container victims were parents. We then see Luke M- and Emily going through Silvio Herrera's belongings from jail. Tara rejoins them and she's like, let's talk about my failing love life over a beer and just carry on working. She starts looking through the letters, noticing that there is one every year Silvio was in jail and as well as from when he was arrested and how they all have a picture of one person in them, and how on the back of every picture is a part of the Catholic confessional prayer. Wait a minute, look at these. Every one of these letters has a postmark from up and down the eastern seaboard. All of them have a picture of this guy. That matches the voyeuristic style from the shipping containers. As far as I can tell, there's a letter here from every year of Herrera's incarceration, including the year he was arrested. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned through my own fault in my thoughts and my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do. That's the Catholic confessional prayer. Now we profiled that Zacharias had something on Silvio. What if it's him? Back in the interrogation room with Silvio, photographs down in front of him. Luke asks, what's his name? Silvio is like, nobody. Emily's like, I'm going to be completely honest with you. When we brought you in here, we thought you were protecting a killer. But you know what I think now? I think you are protecting him from one. Tara enters the room and gives a beautiful speech about love and trying to open up to Silvio to get him to talk. I met this woman. And she just... um... She lit up my life. And I was so confused at first because I never thought that my happily ever after was going to be with someone who was the same gender as me. You know? Yeah, gang life. I get it. Can't be vulnerable. Can't show weakness. Can't be yourself. The guy that is doing this to you, he knows that. He is betting on you following the cultural rules of machismo all the way to the end. That's not it. I mean, you're right. About him. Mi novio. But that's not it. Okay. Then what is it? The photos were a reminder that he could kill Minoya whenever he wanted. So if I die, may he finally be free. I thought it was, like, kind of surprising that she was just gonna, like, out herself to this potentially dangerous person. And then I was like, oh, she also thinks he's gay. It took, like, I don't know, that kind of 
Yeah, she got to the point at the end of it, but I was like, do we really have how much concrete evidence do we have that he was gay? Because that's like a very vulnerable thing to be putting herself in. And I mean, it made sense when you actually look at that he was gay. It's like, okay, he's protecting himself and um, so they don't get killed and ride out. Yeah, it made sense. Like, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. Garcia locates the man in the pictures as Silvio's lover, Juan Gutierrez. Gutierrez. Juan Gutierrez, who is the man that if you look at the way he looks now and you look at the photo of what he was supposed to look like when he was younger, it's clearly a very different actor. A different person. Yeah. (laughs) At least fix one. Like, choose one. Bomb or, like, hire a teenager. Any teenager. It's like they were, like... I don't know, man. I don't know if we can get a teenager to do this. They're so hard to find. And does anyone know any teenagers that we can hire? Oh, Garcia tries to locate him. He's dropped off the face of the earth, but we all know Garcia can find anyone, and there she goes. Moments later, we hear noises coming from Garcia's apartment, and Luke and Emily are like, are you okay? That sounds like Bigfoot. And she's like, it's just my cats. I'm just trying to get my cats to get along. She finds um, one current address and hangs up on Emily and Luke. We see a sober Tyler bring her a big mug of tea. And they have this bonding moment over how they both lost loved ones. You know, I always thought when I finally found proof that he took Allison, it'd bring me some sense of closure. But... She's still just so much pain, you know. Can't describe it. It's like it's like there's this hole, and you think you can fill it with answers, and then you get the answers, and it doesn't fill the hole. It just makes the hole different. Exactly. I felt it too. My parents were killed by a drunk driver. I'm so sorry. Oh. Oh, uh, we should go on a walk. A walk? Yes, we should, because walks are outside, and they're very sobering, and they're in the air, and there's people. We should walk. Tyler leans in to kiss Garcia, and she's like, no. I mean, she's like, we can't. But she wants it. She's flustered. She's so flustered. She And she's like, let's go for a walk. We need out of here because this moment is going to happen. When you see bigger ladies on television, traditionally speaking, they're paired with bigger guys. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it is really nice to have someone who is like, by traditional beauty standards, very hot and attractive. Go for Garcia, who's this beloved character who is a bigger girl. Amazing. Like, I love it. It fills my heart with so much happiness. That is, for me, is the one redeeming thing about this entire episode. And I know there are so many problems, but at least we fucking have that, you know. Mm-hmm. We see Daddy Voight arrive at a cabin in the dark. We get another flashback scene. You see young Lee, a.k.a. Daddy Voight, is packing a bag or whatever that case is called. That's what he's packing, and he puts all in photos in of Maria and the other things. And that is what they found in the container, his suitcase. So he never unpacked it. He was trying to leave, and fight breaks out between him and his uncle Cyrus. The hell you think you're going? Talk to the cops again? I didn't say anything to anyone. How could I? You never let me go anywhere without you. That's right. You can't go nowhere without me. I don't need you anymore. I'm out over my dead body. That's the smartest thing you ever done, boy. You kill me now, sheriff will know it was you. <coughs> Maybe you have been listening. You'll be back. 
you got? Because he's basically saying, like, you you choosing to leave me alive leave me alive was the smartest thing you ever did. Because remember how there's this whole thing where Daddy Void hates his neighbor Hal, but he can't kill Hal because he knows Hal, so he can be linked to Hal. So he literally kidnaps someone who looks like Hal. And that's something we learned that he Daddy Voigt learns from his uncle, Cyrus, that Cyrus is like, you have to choose random people so there's no connection. There's so many rules you have to follow. And actually, Cyrus does say there, there's when they, when he's Daddy Void is first in the bed, Cyrus is like, there are some rules, which of course, Abigail and I, there was one rule. There was one rule. I told you there was one rule. No. What rule? Agent Greenway. Stop. Do you not consider that holding a press conference? Is going outside the team for help. Listen. Why? I, I still remember, like, very distinctly Abigail going, that were rules. But <laughs> apparently that was not correct. So it's, and it is confirmed, it was, there was one rule. Cutting back to the BAU, we see Emily Lucantara speaking with Mr. I can't say his name. Gutierrez. About new evidence that has come to light in, the Sil- in Silvio's case and how they know they were rom- romantically involved and he has pictures them together in the bar the night of the killing of Maria. Uh, that is to say that, that Mr. Gutierrez has photos of, taken of them at a drag club? Yeah, it was a drag club. There's just so much going on in this episode that my brain is like, huh? Also, like, I know this is, like, super nitpicky, but, like, Silvio says that, what's his, Mr. Gutierrez, what's his first name? Juan. He's like, oh, yeah, that's my my boyfriend, my novio. And it's like, you haven't talked to this person in, like, 20 years. Like, he's not your boyfriend. You can't be saying, oh, that's my boyfriend, and then, like, don't talk to him for 20 years, which is definitely something that Silvio did. And then, like, Juan is like, Silvio's been doing all this stuff. Like, I got to pay pay some of it back, and I'm just like, ugh, God. But then he tells them how they were discovered by a man called Cyrus, who they bought guns from and how they had to pay him off to keep him quiet about their relationship. Are you sure that no one knew about you two? We have to be good about hiding it. But a few weeks before Sylvia was arrested, we were discovered by this man that we bought guns from, this guy, Cyrus. We had to pay him off to keep quiet, but I remember how obsessed he used to be with Maria. And I always thought he had something to do with killing her. You never suspected Sylvia? He didn't kill Maria. How can you be so sure? Because I was with him the night she disappeared. We went to a drag ball in Kitts Creek. It was our first time being together with other people. Can you prove that? I have pictures from that night. Why didn't you hand them over sooner? I tried, but Sylvia didn't want my help. He told me he would deny everything. And a day later, he confessed. Juan, if you give those pictures to us, the FBI can- I don't need promises. I stopped living in fear when I left Raleigh. Sylvia has lost most of his life trying to protect me. And it's about time I return the favor. Up pops Deputy Doug and tells them, since Sylvia won't cooperate, he's been sent back to be executed at midnight. He tells them to take what they have to the Attorney General, but tells them it would help if the original prosecution withdrew the case. Tari is like, I'll talk to Rebecca. And we see Rebecca looking at the photos of Silvio and Juan at the night of Maria's murder. Rebecca is the only person who can stop an innocent man getting killed. And then Rebecca is like, tell me what happens when I make that call. She knows shit's going to go down if she makes that call. We skip to Garcia and Tyler walking. Garcia then has a moment looking at the street sign and she calls forward a taxi saying how she needs to get back to the BAU immediately. It's been a long time since I've been down here. Sister worked around here. <sighs> Tell you, Allison sounds like she was the best. Yeah, she was. Actually, we're really close to where she used to work. It's right around the corner. This little dive called Delilah's. Delilah's? Wasn't that where... It's okay. Yeah, that's where she wanted me to meet her the night she went missing. <sighs> Hi, 
Everything okay? Oak Street. Oak Street wasn't always Oak Street. I'm sorry? Taxi! I'm so sorry. Here, here are my uh, keys. You can wait there and I, I can I can meet you at my place later. I just I have to get back to the office. She runs back and kisses Tyler fucking green. On the mouth. And he, and if you look at him when she pulls away, he's like, oh my god. Like he's into it. I honestly don't know if I like this. Uh, I was hearing a lot from our community that, uh, and I, I guess I didn't remember this from the original show, but I guess people are salty because they thought Garcia and Luke would get together. I think it's it's not like Finn, but the fact that they went on a date and it was hinted. And I, I wanted Gavis, but I knew that realistically that wouldn't happen. Tyler is more similar to her. Like, they both lost a sibling. They're both hackers. He's got a little bit of an edge to him. She likes to fix things. He likes to be mothered. I mean, it's perfect. I think it'll grow on me, but I think I just need to get over the shock of them first. Well, the thing is, the reason they're giving it to us is because they had to take away the lesbians. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so they have to give something else. So they're comp. They're this is them compensating. They're like, oh, you lose the lesbians, but here's a heterosexual couple for you. But let's just piss everyone off again, like you like to do with characters on this show, and not give people what they want. Okay, Rebecca comes back into the BAU, explaining to Tara how she got the call and how she's under review, and basically blames it all on Tara. Well, Rebecca says that she knows that she did the right thing because she realizes that Silvio is innocent and that they made the wrong call. I got the call. I'm under review. This wasn't your fault. I should have Let me finish. I have never not been on your side. But you couldn't be honest with me about what you needed. And that's not fair. Um, can we talk about this at home? No. Uh, um, why not? Because I'm not going home. Tara wasn't honest with her from the get-go. And, like, I I think that Rebecca 100% overreacted. And I don't think it's realistic for a character, basically, because she was like, I would fucking take state secrets for you, Tara. You know, lie to the DOJ for you, Tara. But, like, this is where I draw the line. Like, I don't think that's realistic. But Rebecca literally says, like, I know that I I did the right thing, but you weren't honest with me. And I always look out for you and I'm always supporting you. And I just wish you could have, like, come to me with this instead of me finding out from my colleagues. Like, that's why she's upset. And that's why she ends the relationship. Which makes sense, but you also find out that Tara Lewis says that this is where you see a part of her, like she has commitment issues and she has this and you see that's why she is. But I'm hoping they work things out. The team is discussing what Rosie believes is security is a father and how the cooling off period fits having children. Garcia enters the room explaining how she's found something and how every victim was connected to Second Street. So basically, we'll use the we'll insert the audio, but every single victim in the sto- second storage container crossed over a second street. So they call Second Street Daddy Voice Hunting Ground, and I was like, "What the fuck are you saying?" Like, I'm sorry, that was stupid. Listen, we gave last episode a 100, so like y'all know we love this show, but this episode was like a little too silly for our uh, our liking. And then we got the best part, probably one of the best quotes of the episode. Father by day, serial killer by night. Again, Ashley Seaver would have been on that shit, just saying. Bring Rachel Nichols back. <laughs> yes. All of the identified victims, no exceptions, have a connection to the name of a single location, Second Street. 
Uh, I'm not qu quite following. I, I, I looked at all the victims' biographies, and, and it's bananas. They're, every single time, whether it was where they worked, where they hung out, where they were last seen, each and every one crossed a second street before they went missing. Allison Green wouldn't fit that pattern. I mean, there's nothing here that says that she Allison had... Green. Allison Green worked at Delilah's, which still exists and is on Oak Street. But in 2007, Oak Street was an extension of Second Street. She's right. Basically, in whatever city Sicarius finds himself, Second Street is his preferred hunting ground. And maybe it's, it's wishful thinking because Second Street is like the most common name of a street in the United States. But maybe it means something to him. It's not a coincidence. Where he hunts is rooted in something that's deeply personal to him. And who he hunts is a form of transference. Transference? Meaning you think Sicarius is a father? I do, because as a parent, it, it, it might explain why there's so many gaps between kills. The cooling off periods might line up with his children's births. Father by day, serial killer by night. We go back to the cabin where we see an IV bag. We see Cyrus, a.k.a. Uncle Voight. So in a chair, that's when we see Daddy Voight enter the cabin. And Cyrus is all, well, 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 the prodigal son returns after 20 years. Daddy Voight is all, sometimes when I close my eyes, it's like I never left. Cyrus then puts together that Voight is one that's being in the news, that he's sicarious. And Daddy Voight is all calmly like, oh, I already killed you an hour ago. By slipping some naproxen in your, in your IV. And I just came here to watch an old man die of kidney failure. And Cyrus is all, I knew it. Family is what gets you killed. You'll learn that sooner or later. What do we think about the criminal slash serial killer? I think you have to give that Max because she found out a lot about him. I would be okay with a 15 just because... Yeah. A 15. I'm just really upset by the fact that they didn't hire a teenager. So, like, maybe we could give it, like, a 12. Yeah, I was not a fan of the flashbacks. I get that it needed to be told, and that's, but I found, like, that could have been done in a different episode. Like, I think the context of this episode, everyone was expecting injury and, like, the team being injured and stuff happening. I think I like I expected a more character driven episode. So we're gonna give criminal slash serial killer a twelve and character development slash character arcs. Um I'm struggling because I'm happy for Garcia, but then I'm like ups I don't know. I think we should get character development and character arcs a high score and then give forensics and context a lower score because Context-wise, why the fuck are they still alive? Okay, so can we give character development and character arcs a 20 for Garcia and Tyler? I know that's a controversial take. Yeah. Forensics and context, we give like a three. Yeah. Can we give script trying a zero? No, we can't. We can't give it a zero. I think we can give it a five. I wouldn't even say five. Like, it's so bad. And then background characters? Cyrus? I thought that actor did a really good job. Cyrus was good, and I guess we should give a high score for Herrera because gay rights. How about 17? Okay. Wow, that is a really polarizing scoreboard. We've got background characters 17, character development 20, criminal serial killer 12, forensics and context 3, and script writing 5. That gives us a total of 57. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our spicy, hot opinions. If you're currently working on Criminal Minds Evolution, we would love to chat. Drop us a line. We love feedback. We love hearing from you guys. You join our Patreon, $5 a month, ad-free episodes, newsletters. Even giving us a five-star review on Spotify is awesome. You can follow me at yournewapartment.tumblr.com. You can follow me on Instagram at little underscore gnome underscore facts. 
And you can follow me on pretty much all socials at Sam Crazy. Well, thanks for joining us. Mm. Oh, you're welcome.